This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The guest speaker is featured on this message. Let me invite, if you would, to open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 96. Psalm 96. The sermon title this morning is Why We Sing. Singing impacts all of us in some way. If you examine our culture, singing is all around us. We sing while driving our car up Preston Road. We sing in the shower. We sing at sporting events. I love listening to the World Cup, hearing the nations of the world sing for their teams. We sing at concerts and to commemorate birthdays and kindergarten graduations. We sing to rejoice at weddings and to grieve at funerals. We sing to celebrate Christmas and New Year. We sing when we fall in love and when love is lost. Singing is everywhere. You know why? We were made to sing. What important memories of singing do you have? What important memories of singing do you have? Not a time where there was merely just music like a symphony, but a time you remember being moved by singing. Maybe you were at your favorite artist's song and they sang that song that you and all of these adoring fans love and you sing. Maybe it was the last night of youth camp and all of your arms are around your brand new friends that are now your best friends that you promised to write every day of your life. And it's the final night of youth camp, and here it comes. You know it's coming. Michael W. Smith's Friends Are Friends Forever. (laughs) Guys, we made it through that. That won't even be a blip on church history, you know? Friends are friends forever. Perhaps it was singing with a loved one while driving on a road trip. Maybe it was singing with your family just got really personal, just grieving the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's an experience you had here on Sunday morning with your church family, gathered to declare again the praises of our King. Just sitting here right here on the front row, I was so nourished by hearing you sing the praises of our King. Thank you even for that. Let's, let's not overlook the gift that is to one another, to gather together to declare the praises of God. The more I've thought about singing, the more I've realized how much singing means to me. I'd like to share with you just a few few examples. At age 18, I took my first mission trip to Denmark. And uh, there was a group of about 100 of us, American students and Danish students, crammed in one little room. And we were singing together the praises of our God. That's all the Danish I know. And it's been 20 years, so some of it might have been lost. But there we were, two languages joined together declaring the praise of God. And that impacted me deeply, seeing that the way we sing is much more than just in English. The praises of God are too beautiful for English alone. Didn't we see a preview of that just here this morning with all of these nations represented, now part of your church family? Another time is just not one specific, but over the years, singing has played a part in our home as a part of family worship. And I would write these little scripture memory songs when our kids were really small just to hide God's word in their hearts. And I remember just the kids like um, Psalm 98, one, make a joyful noise to the Lord, 
all the earth, Psalm 98.4, I'm sorry. And so uh, they would like, have their diapers on, and when we would sing that, it's a really joyful song. And they would just, they couldn't take it anymore, so they would just run circles around the house in their diapers while singing, make a joyful noise to the Lord. It's a special memory of singing. Just last year, we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, and I had the joy of leading uh, the singing at, at a conference. And the final the day of it, we sang a mighty fortress is our God, a cappella. And there's like thousands of people from all over the world there lifting voices together, reminding one another of what our God has done, of his steadfast love and faithfulness. And I was just overwhelmed at, this, at the singing of God's people. The next Sunday I flew back home and there I am back again at the converted Dodge dealership with people that I know people that I love, people that I've walked with and suffered with. And we sang that same song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And it didn't have the luster and the glitz of a large conference, but there was something even more special in a people covenanted together, knowing and being known, singing the praises of God. That by far has been the most profound impact a singing has had on me is weekend week out, 23 years now of leading congregational singing. And it has shaped me. What important memories of singing do you have? You know, it begs to ask the question, why do we sing as a church? Why did we just sing for the first 30 minutes of this gathering? 26 hours of the year, you gather together and you invest that time singing. But have you ever seriously stopped and just asked why? Why is singing so meaningful to us as a church? Why do Christians sing at all? So my sermon this morning will be very pointed, looking at a very small passage of scripture, Psalm 96, just a few verses, one through three, and asking that question, why do we sing? And from this little passage, I wanna give you three answers from God's word to show the importance of why it is Christians sing together. So my goal that is at the end of this sermon, at the end of our time, when we sing again, and weeks and weeks and weeks into the future, when you gather together as a church family to sing, it will be from a deep sense of awareness of why we sing. So that's my prayer, and even more, that we'll have a greater love for Christ at the end of this time together, who is the sum and substance the melody of our song. Let's just pray and then we'll read from God's word. Father, let your word do the work in us this morning that it is appointed to do. Let it tear down and rebuild. Let it convict and encourage. Let it lead us to life in the name of Jesus. Praise you that you are the God who sings, the God who's given us a song of salvation to sing. Let it ring in our hearts this morning. I pray for the sake of Christ. Amen. Psalm 96, 1 through 3. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Declare his Oh, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised.
The first thing I want us to see from this text is that we sing as an act of worship to God. We sing to God as an act of worship. We see that in the first in verse 1 in the first part of verse 2. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. The first reason we sing is to worship God. Let's not overlook the miracle it is that we can sing to God. We were a people born in sin, born separated from him, but now because of the work of Christ have been drawn near. We're able to sing to God. What a grace that is. When the Bible talks about worship in its original languages, they carry this idea of bowing before God in reverence, of serving him, of adoring him, of ascribing worth to him. So as we sing, we worship God by lifting our hearts and our voices. We worship by bowing our hearts and lives in service of the king. In singing, we're doing so many things. We're not just singers of songs. We're heralds of good news. We're not just singing. It's so much more than that for the Christian. We're giving adoration and praise. In singing, we give thanksgiving and celebration. In singing, we confess sin and offer repentance. We sing as an act of worship. Now realize it's kind of careful ground we're treading when we talk about singing and worship so closely. Because sometimes we confuse our language when we think about these terms. Have you ever thought, I like the worship at that church? Or heard somebody say something like that? Be honest. Yeah. Or like, um, how was the worship today, we might say. And what do we mean by that? I like the singing at that church. Or how, how, how was the music today? Now, When people ask me that question, it depends on what kind of mood I'm in, but when they say like, how, you know, uh, you know, how was worship today? I'll say, what part? Which part? And I'll say that with a smile on my face because I'm wanting to teach, but in a loving way, that not just our singing is worship, that everything we do together when we gather is worship. But friends, Christian singing cannot be less than the worship of God. But we do need to be careful with our terms. Sometimes people will say, hey, I really enjoyed the worship today, and I'll just say, thank you, and move on, which is a kind way to receive a compliment and save the teaching time for another opportunity. (laughs) All of what we do in gathered worship is, in fact, worship. Preaching, praying, communion, baptisms, greeting one another, having, uh, reciting this church covenant together, giving, and yes, even singing. So while we must see singing as a form of worship, we cannot confuse our terms. Worship is too heavy of a doctrine for singing alone to carry. Everything we do when we gather together is aimed at the worship of the risen Christ. So singing is first of all worship, but singing is also a commandment. Psalm 96.1 is not a divine suggestion, it's a commandment given by God. The psalm commands us to sing a new song to the Lord. New hearts demand new praise. New songs flow out of hearts that have been made new by the power of God. Through the work of Jesus Christ. Did you know the same way we've been commanded to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And the same way we've been commanded do not steal, do not commit adultery. We have also been commanded to sing. This is not just a divine suggestion, it is a command given 
by the Lord. And when we read, sing to the Lord all the earth, it means you. It means you. It means all of us who have tasted and seen the mercy of Jesus to sing. Now, I know I'm not singing to a... uh, I'm singing to a friendly congregation when it talks about singing. I know that because I just evidenced it. But I don't want to assume anything. I want to prove to you the importance of singing from the scripture. In these very brief three, oh, three verses, really if you just look at one in the beginning of two, the psalmist commands three times to sing to the Lord. Charles Spurgeon says there's like a Trinitarian rhythm to this. Sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. There are over 50 direct commands in the scripture for us to sing. 50 times. There are over 400 mentions of singing in the Bible. The longest book in the Bible is Psalms, a hymn book given by God to his people to be sung. The New Testament commands us twice, clearly, Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19 to sing. God sings. Zephaniah 3.17 says he sings over us songs of love with gladness. Jesus sings. Hebrews 2.12, Jesus sang at the Last Supper. His final words on the cross were from a song, him quoting Psalm 22. In eternity, we will sing to God. Singing is not only what we will do, but we will be a singing people, singing the praises of the lion who has overcome. Now, not everyone loves to sing. I understand that. Perhaps your wife has already nudged you. (laughs) But singing is not as hard as we've made it. Singing is not as hard as we have made it. I could could try to convince you the ease of singing, the primacy of singing from the writings of John Calvin or the fiery pen of Martin Luther, but perhaps the best explanation of singing is captured in the 2003 cinematic masterpiece, Elf. (laughs) When Buddy the Elf encourages us to sing, just like this. He says, singing is just like talking, except longer and louder, and you move your voice up and down. (laughs) Some of you may be embarrassed when you sing because your voice is too high, or your voice is too low, or your voice is scratchy, or you have a hard time finding the pitch. But friends, let me assure you, God, for the Christians in this room, God chose you in eternity past. And in your mother's womb at 14 weeks in utero, gave you vocal cords that were meant to sing. And in the course of time, rescued you so that you might sing of him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. If you're in Christ, you have a song to sing. And surely God's grading our singing on the curve. (laughs) I think what's most important here is our our singing is not meant to be done by professionals. It's meant to be done by the people of God. By you and me. It's not about beauty. It's about volume. Singing together the praises of God. The psalmist says a third time we are to sing to the Lord. 
And in this third time, it's not that he's wasting his breath, he's making his point. God is worthy of our song. He says here, we bless God by our singing. God's blessed by the singing of his people, by your singing. He's happy in our singing. So why is it that God's not content with just our speaking to him, that he wants and commands us to sing? I have a deeply theological answer for this. He likes it. He likes it. Our Father delights in hearing his children sing. I I remember growing up and we would sing sometimes on Sunday night. We would break the rules and like come out of our pews and hold hands across the aisle. And sometimes we'd make a big circle and we would sing a couple of songs. And one of those songs we would sing together as a church family is, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Who remembers that song? Show your age. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in the ear of God. Our singing blesses him. My point of application for this first time together, thinking through uh, our singing to God as an act of worship is simply an exhortation to Grace Church. Keep singing. Keep singing to the Lord. Commit to growing together as a singing church family. There's benefits to this. It's a means of communion with Christ and his people. What we're doing is more than just singing. There is a deep joy in this command to sing. Singing first is to God as an act of worship. Let's continue in our text. Just look at 2B. And here I want us to see that we sing to one another as a practice of disciple making. We sing to one another as a practice of disciple making. That we see the psalmist calling us to tell of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Notice while God was the first audience of the song, now it seems there's a change in who is being sung to. God doesn't need to hear of his salvation every day. We do. The content of this song comes into view here. It's the salvation of God. When we sing the good news of Jesus, it edifies us. It builds us up. We grow as disciples of Christ. That's why I say that singing is a practice of disciple making. Both singing as disciples and singing in the work of discipling others. Now this might strike you as an odd statement at first that singing could be disciple making. But if we think about Colossians 3.16 for a moment, when Paul writes this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So Paul seems to think that when the word of God gets in us and when we're singing to one another that there's teaching and admonishing going on in this local church. Disciples are being made. People are being encouraged and strengthened. As the word dwells in us, we teach one another. We'll teach what? The salvation of God. The whole story of scripture. There must be a redemptive center in all of our singing. Building one another up. Let's not overlook in this conversation of singing to one another as a practice of disciple making the importance of singing to ourselves. 
We need to sing the glories of the gospel to our own soul daily. We need a steady stream of songs reminding us who God is, who we are, what Christ has done that we might be reconciled with God, and now how to live in response walking by faith in things unseen. We need that. Friends, the songs that we sing have the ability to express our affections and to direct our affections. What you, what you sing, what you listen to, the music you're drawn to shapes how you see the world. It's foundational. It's formational. Have you noticed the way that what we sing can affect our state of mind, our emotions, even our actions? In Psalm 42, we find David in this dark night of the soul. And three times he sings to his soul, hope in God, hope in God, hope in God. He doesn't just say it, he sings it and builds himself up. The more we sing, the more the truth shapes us. Our hearts move toward the things we sing. That's why we keep singing about Jesus. We want to lead our hearts to remember who he is and what he has done. Plato is often attributed as having said, let me write the songs of a nation and I care not who writes, it law, writes its laws. There's a revivalist pastor in the 19th century who said, I care, not who writes, I care not who writes the theology of the church as long as you let me write the hymnal. He understood that what we sing shapes us. I remember a time just having to sing to my own soul. We were in the process, this is about eight years ago, actually of moving right here to Collin County. And uh, for nine years, I had served in a church through all of my 20s. And um, our, I, I met my wife there. We had our children there. I was coaching soccer with all of our best friends. And our life was safe and warm and convenient. And we felt the Lord pulling us to walk by faith and to leave that place in a place we really didn't yet know. We're grateful it has been Providence these last seven years. But I didn't know the story at that point. And you know that moment where all of your stuff is out and you've had your home cleaned um, and you're ready to, for the next, seller, or the next buyer to move in? You should have your home cleaned when you're doing that, by the way. <laughs> and we were sitting there. I was sitting there. The kid, Jamie and the kids were already gone. And I, I went back just for one more thing. And I sat there and just wanted to soak in all that God had taught us there. And I'm leaning against the frame of our house, praying and thanking God. And the text that comes to mind is, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And there's tears and snot and, <laughs> and singing. In that moment, I, I wanted to sing to my soul the encouragement of trusting. Are you in a season like that right now? You need to be reminded of the love of God toward you given in Christ Jesus. Maybe this evening you need to pull up the lyrics to how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make the wretch his treasure. Maybe you're in a season just like I was and the future is very unclear. You pull up the lyrics to great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my Father. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. 
then just begin to count the mercies of God towards you. Singing has been given to us as a gift. We sing to our own souls. So sing to yourself and encourage your heart. Let it be a means of discipleship of you growing in your faith in Christ. And then another environment which we need to continually sing is right here with our church, week in and week out. Did you know one of the most important things you can do when you gather together with this church family is to sing? Not all of you will be able to teach or to preach or lead in prayer, but all of you sing. Don't underestimate the contribution that you make, that your voice is to this church family. When you sing, you proclaim the salvation of God to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Reminding one another of truths. We're teaching one another. Your church needs you to sing. There's some Sundays where I, I walk in the door and whether I'm leading the singing or somewhere in the congregation, I just need to hear my brothers and sisters in Christ sing. And some days I, I don't feel like I can sing at all and I just need to be in the environment of hearing people sing over me things that are true. Leading my heart back to what is true. That's the privilege That's the responsibility of all of us as a local church family. So sing a hymn this week that you know that has carried you through the darkest of night. Maybe even with your family or with your community group, just print out that text and work through it. Share with others what is meaningful to you about this hymn, about this song, and how has it nourished you over the years? Be a very important practice just, just to bring others into how singing has nourished you. Or maybe just print the lyrics for your fa- from your favorite hymn and, and to think through what is really being said here. Maybe nostalgia has Im- inputted meaning on that text, but there's a rich meaning to it that you just need to rehearse and remember today. Don't miss that singing is a means of making disciples the heartbeat of this church. And then finally, verse three. We see here that we sing first to God as an act of worship. Second, we sing to one another as a means of disciple making. And then finally, we sing to declare good news to the world. We sing to declare good news to the world. Verse three, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all the peoples. You know, you don't even have to go outside the walls of this church to do that. Chances are there's someone in here right now that is still trapped in sin and death and has not known the love and grace of Jesus. And you've just sung such amazing truths to one another and to an onlooking and listening in world. Christianity is the only singing religion. Buddhists don't sing. Muslims don't sing. Hindus don't sing. Rastafarians don't sing. But we sing. We sing because Christ is our song. Have you ever considered, uh, there's a couple of ways I just want us to think about this. When When I say we sing to declare good news to the world, there's really two facets to that. First, the content of our singing is good news. And second, there's a wonderful apologetic going on in this church when you sing as a means of unity. Okay, so let's just think about both of those for a moment. Psalm 96 is known as the messenger psalm or a mission psalm. The whole thrust of it from this beginning to call is all about the nations coming to faith in Christ. 
It's all about us proclaiming to the nations who God is and what he has done. So, um, so I do write hymns, as Craig said earlier, and so um, I call those messenger hymns. Messenger hymns. And that, that's a reminder to myself that each one of these little hymns is like a little bitty gospel tract that I'm handing to a waitress or to someone I'm passing. Do you remember we used to do that? Each one of these hymns is like a little bitty tract proclaiming truth, proclaiming truth. And we're also messengers when we gather together to sing them, to proclaim these songs. It's true of all the songs we sing as Christians. These songs are meant to nourish us, to strengthen us, and also to be a proclamation to an onlooking world. This is why what we sing matters. This is why the songs that are chosen to be sung in this church matter so deeply and why your leaders care so much about making sure you're singing things that are doctrinally true and rich that will nourish you as a people. So the first thing is we sing Christ. Really quick, just I, I mentioned there may be some in here who do not yet know Christ. And I've been singing about like, I've been talking about singing the gospel and what that means. Let me just explain to you really quick what that means. So we believe that there is a holy God who is eternal and unchanging, that he created all things, even you. And in the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, um, all of creation was then broken because of sin. And we feel that today. And so all of us, sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, are born into sin and born sinning. We're born separated from God. And that's bad news, not good news. So the good news is this, that God, out of love, sent Christ to obey the whole teaching of of the law, to fulfill all of the law in our place because we could never obey God because of our sinfulness. And so Jesus did it all. And he says more that we, that all in Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all sinners because we've broken God's law. And so we need forgiveness. But instead, we're, we're, going, we're going on a one-way track to punishment for our own sin. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death. And then there's this great hinge in the word, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Paul, the the guy who wrote Romans, teaches us that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you're here this morning and you are, you know I'm still in sin. I don't trust Jesus. You can. You've you've heard me talking about how great it is to sing to God. The joy is to sing to God and singing to one another as Christians and the joy that is. You can get in on that today. The gospel call is all who call on the name of the Lord can and will be saved. So this church family would love for you today to place your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior and sing a new song to the Lord like you've never sung before. I'm not talking about singing anymore. Do you understand that? I'm talking about our life being a song to the Lord, how he's changed us and rescued us. So don't wait another day. Trust in Christ alone. He can and will save you. So that's the first thing. Our our, our singing is a gospel proclamation. And then second, it's an apologetic to the world. It's a a little window to the world that that Jesus is right and true. John 13, 35 says, "By by our love, the world will know that we are the disciples of Christ. 
What joy it is to know that there are seven different nations that have just been grafted into this church family. Oh my word, what joy that is. What unity that is. Did you know in those seven nations, I bet there's all kinds of discrepancies in various ways to view life and, uh, and happiness and work and the church. There's all kinds of cultural things that we're bringing here. You know what unifies Grace Church? The gospel of Jesus. Did you know everything else is too weak a foundation except the gospel of Jesus? You see, we experience unity in a lot of different ways, but it's so temporary, right? So let me just explain, like, just personally, like on Monday, I was like cheering and singing for Brazil to win the World Cup, and now I'm cheering for England. <laughs> that unity that I felt with my Brazilian brothers and sisters was so temporary. <laughs> if you go to a concert and sing, you have this thing in common, but that's not permanent that won't last the unity that you have been given as a church family is nothing less than the gospel of Jesus Christ and when you gather together to sing and make that the center of your song our hearts are truly unified around the goodness of God and the gospel it is a declaration to the world I have an embarrassing story I'll just end our time together telling you about it has to deal with uh, the famous Dr. Nettles Tom Nettles is uh, a professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary he's uh, he's been my professor and uh, for a doctoral seminar uh, so he has this reputation of being a really difficult professor he's a humble and joyful and godly man but he's a really tough professor and so we thought it would do us well if we bought him lunch and so we took him to this really great place I mean, we wanted to get to know him more as well, but we thought that wouldn't hurt. And so we took him to this really nice place in Louisville called Game, where it's just like, you know, unlimited animals and testosterone <laughs> in the air. And Dr. Nettles had not been there before, so we took him. There's four students. And we wanted to continue our conversation we've been having in our lecture. And so Dr. Nettles continues to teach us there while we're eating together. And, and he has this reputation to sing in the middle of class. He'll just be reminded of a hymn and start singing full voice. He has a beautiful tenor voice. Still sings in the church choir, uh, even as he's approaching 80. And um, Dr. Nettles starts singing in the middle of the restaurant. Okay, for 23 years, my job has been to lead the church in singing. And all of a sudden, in the middle of game, Dr. Nettles is sitting across from me singing, and I'm kind of like... I'm, I'm embarrassed and nervous of these other business people and workers there enjoying a meal. I, I'm embarrassed that Dr. Nettles was singing. And that's embarrassing now for me to share with you. But it's true. But as, as lunch was over and we drove away, I realized um, how silly it was for me to be embarrassed over that. So I went to my hotel room that night and pled with the Lord to forgive me of my own pride. And then he would give me a heart more like Dr. Nettles, who is dead to the world and alive in Christ. Who is not gathering in the safety of a place like this to sing things that are true and then embarrassed to sing them in public. But is a man who wholeheartedly believes the truths that are being sung. I'm not encouraging you to go to Toyota on Monday morning and start singing in the middle of your workplace. <laughs> but let's be a singing people.
right here, this little microcosm of a biblical theology, biblical framework of what it is to sing. A people commanded to sing to God. People who have the joy of making disciples by singing to one another. And a people who have been given the, the gift of proclaiming to an onlooking world the glories of Christ Jesus. Keep singing. Keep singing. Let me invite you just to bow your head. I'd like to just lead us in a prayer. And then we'll stand together and sing. You are the Holy One, perfect in all of your ways. The giver of every good and perfect gift is an extension from your hand, given for our good and for your glory. You're the God who sang the planets into being, who turned the darkness into light, who fashioned us by your hand. who put a song of salvation in us. We love you, Lord. We adore you. We thank you. We praise you. You're a good God. I thank you for the joy it is of Christian song. We don't sing to try to earn your approval, but we sing because we've been given it. Lord, let us live in light of that. As we sing in this tension between the already and the not yet, singing with unshakable hope that you're the God who will fulfill all of your promises and forever we will be gathered up to be with you. We praise you in Christ's name, amen. I'm gonna invite you right now if you would to stand your feet. This is not going to be a conventional way. If you're a guest at Grace Church, this is not normally how the service ends. Um, But I want us just to sing a couple of songs just with our voices together. And um, hey, if you're standing just on the outside, would you just kind of turn in? Just kind of, yeah, just kind of turn your body in a little bit. Yeah. That's where the oddness will stop. (laughs) Um, But let let me just encourage us to just... Just as we sing, let's sing from a place of remembering those things. We're singing to God. We're singing to one another and singing as a proclamation to the world. Let's just sing two uh, very brief songs a cappella together. Uh, one is I Love You, Lord, and I Lift My Voice, which we just, I, I quoted earlier. And let's, let's conclude our time by singing the doxology. And then Pastor Craig will come up and, and close the service. Let's sing. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise 
Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.